You're listening to episode 22 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this one's a little out of left field as the Cardinals get the regular season underway. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of Chirps. This is our first in-season show of the year. And Alex, a lot has happened in the first week of baseball. I'm not sure it's all of the things that we wanted to happen in the first week of baseball, but the Cardinals currently sit at two and three on the season after a frustrating but competitive opening series with the Brewers. And we are at this point in the weird off day between two games in a series with Pittsburgh. So I don't know how much you take from from five games to start the year, but Alex, it's been an interesting five games to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's early enough to where if they win that game on Sunday, like they should have, and, it, and they're three and two instead of two and three, I think we're all in a bit of a different mood today than uh, you know than perhaps we are. But then again, uh, I think the comeback on Monday really took us took the sting off a lot of you know not only what was coming out of the weekend, but just how that game started, which was not good at all. And even even with the win, there were still a lot of negatives to draw <laughs> from that game. But yeah, you know, it's early. Um, you could make a reasonable argument that they could be four and one. You could make yeah. an argument that they could be one and four. Uh, so here, two and three, I'm satisfied. I, I'll, I'll take it for now. As much as... I guess it kind of depends if you're a, a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person. But watching that series with the Brewers, there were obviously a lot of things that were problematic. The starting pitching wasn't great. The strikeouts from the hitters wasn't great. The fact that the middle of the order is doing a lot of nothing at this point is is kind of problematic. But particularly in that Brewer series, they were right in it the whole time. It's not like they got blown away and were completely overmatched. Yeah. So I think that's that's a good sign, even if it's a frustrating conclusion because they weren't able to come away with the wins. Yeah, I saw a lot of people saying on Sunday when it still looked like the Cardinals were going to win that game, uh, even after the Miller inning when he, when I believe he gave up two runs or however mm-hmm. however many runs he gave up right after that kind of you know I don't it was a close call but you know they call that a strike there's a good chance do you remember what at bat I'm talking yeah, about yeah I do they call yep. that pitch a strike uh, I, I don't remember who he was pitching to there's a very good chance Cardinals end up winning that game but whatever the case during that game when it looked like the Cardinals were still going to win a lot of people were saying things to the effect of, man, the Brewers seem to, we seem to be outmatched by the Brewers and we're still probably going to escape with a 2-2 split. Uh, and I didn't feel that way at all. I felt like we were right in those games. Uh, we certainly didn't have the best player uh, in that series because Christian Yelich was just out of his mind. He picked mm-hmm. up right where he left off last year. Uh, but, you know, I felt like we easily could have taken three or four in that series. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And that is why I, I guess... As frustrating as it was to leave Milwaukee having only picked up the one win, to me, they were one one at bat could have flipped the script completely, and the Cardinals could have won three out of four games. And I guess you could say that in any game, <laughs> technically, but it really felt like it was that close, and like it was just a matter of Christian Yelich having the series of his life. 
Yeah, and I, I think the problem also is that, you know, look, if we're going to draw conclusions from just a couple of games, I, I think what really, I don't know, kind of alarms some people is that some of the things we were counting on looked a little shaky. Like yeah. Miles Michaelis didn't look awesome. Flaherty didn't look awesome. Uh, you know, the you already mentioned it, but just the the production we're getting from from Ozuna in the cleanup spot, obviously not good at all. Uh, <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt has been as good at advertising, even though he's still he's striking out a lot. But again, you know, super early. Uh, I, I don't really know what what else to say other than I'm a little concerned about the pitching. I guess uh, I feel good about the bullpen, so I'm st- most talking about the starting pitching. But I still feel like this is going to be an offense that's going to put up some runs. Um, but I would like to see that strikeout thing uh, kind of corrected, and I th- I think it will. The starting rotation has been a concern, right? We've talked about this all offseason, that there are a lot of ways a starting rotation can go wrong. I don't think this first week means the starting rotation has gone wrong. I think it means guys just weren't as sharp as they need to be over the course of, of the entire season. But I do want to circle back because what we've tried to do on this show is kind of focus in on one particular topic and... <laughs> For better or worse, the one particular topic uh, that I am most concerned about, most drawn to after the first week of games is, in fact, Marcelo Zuna. And it's not just Marcelo Zuna at the plate. It's Marcelo Zuna in the field. It's Marcelo Zuna on the base paths. There's not a lot as far as a redeeming quality of Marcelo Zuna right now. And we talked a little bit about this last week. I really, really feel like what happens next with Marcelo Zuna is a big key for this team because if he's the guy he was with the Marlins then they have a completely different look to this lineup but if he's the guy he was last year they still maybe don't have the offensive production to keep up with a lineup like the Brewers and potentially the Cubs so let's talk about Marcelo Zuna is it fair to be as concerned as I am based on one week of play from a guy who's coming off shoulder surgery. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) did you see how he was just the throws were just like, I feel like you could hear a collective groan from every Cardinals fan. Uh, I I think it was during Sunday's game when he threw that ball Mm -hmm. in from the outfield. And for me, it's kind of like, what is his purpose on this team? Because, You know, when we talked about Harrison Bader a few weeks ago, I basically said I can live with him being a below average hitter because I'm counting on his defense um, in center field. And that's a position where, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a guy with like a, you know, a a WRC plus of, you know, 120 or something like that. Ozuna is kind of the opposite, right? Like, you know, (laughs) you know, sort of with Holiday to a lesser extent back in the day is like, look, we knew Holiday wasn't the world's greatest left fielder, but you have to have that bat in the lineup. You absolutely have to. Um, if Ozuna's bat doesn't have to be in the lineup, or if it's not a difference maker in this lineup, then I really don't know what his purpose is. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I think another thing I'll add is that there's a very good chance that the Ozuna of 2017, his last season with the Marlins, like that's not the real Ozuna. Like yeah. last year was the real Ozuna. <laughs> Because, you know, he just, it looks a lot like last year. Like, you know, quality of contact doesn't look great. Um, 
Although I, I do, I do think last year, like he actually did hit the ball pretty hard, but it never, mm-hmm. it just never felt that way. Um, well, when the, you hit it directly into the ground, it doesn't, right, okay. uh, it doesn't look like, like it's that effective. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, he, he, just the the weak contact, the just looking lost in the outfield. It's just, it's just not good. And you know, and if we're gonna have bad defense from a left fielder, then I'd rather just have like Jose Martinez's bat in there or, or Tyler O'Neill's bat. Exactly. So I I did say, in fact, almost verbatim to someone the other day, the reason Jose Martinez is not playing every day is because he's a liability in the outfield. But if Marcelo Zuna is just as much a liability in the outfield, then Jose Martinez might as well play every day because his bat's better right now. And it shouldn't be on paper, right? Your cleanup hitter should have a, a better chance at offensive production than a guy coming off your bench. But at this point, that's not the case. And I don't know that I've seen a whole lot that inspires confidence that it will become the case. I've said all of this last week that, you know, whether whether it's Harrison Bader at the plate or if it's any of the starting pitchers that struggled or even with Andrew Miller or with Dexter Fowler, pick somebody who hasn't had a phenomenal first week. It's really easy to say, okay, it's the first week. <laughs> Let's give it a minute take a beat and see what happens. But there hasn't been a whole lot in what Marcelo Zuna has done that has earned that, that confidence that there's a chance he's going to turn it around. Now that's not to say he won't, but there's just nothing visible. There's nothing tangible to suggest that he can because it's every bit of continuation of last season and really no improvements in any way at this point. Um, it's it's concerning in the outfield because I think there have already been instances where he's cost runs for this team. And when you're playing a team like the Brewers, you cannot afford to give up any runs that, that didn't need to be given, whether it's not coming in hard on a, a fly ball or not being able to throw past the grass <laughs> um, or whatever else it might be. There have just been... And not a lot of it goes down as an error, but it's one of those plays not made that has cost them when their pitching staff can't really afford that right now. When the the bullpen is having to pick up extra outs as it is, you know, they can't afford to give up runs that uh, that, that could have been prevented. That's that's where someone like a Harrison Bader comes into play and you think, OK, well, at least he's going to be taking runs off the board. And that's not the case for Marcelo Zuna. But then hitting in the cleanup spot, he's not doing a lot of cleaning up at this point. And that's when we look at this Cardinals lineup and think, okay, this is a team that's going to score a lot of runs. It's because you feel like there's there's depth to this lineup. But if you take his production out of the middle of that lineup, it looks a lot less formidable real quickly. I don't yeah. I don't know how else to to say that, but without him producing there's a giant hole in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, I, I was listening to the Seeing Red podcast earlier today, and uh, I, I kid you not, Bernie Nicholas called him, quote, one of the most annoying players I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I, I don't think he meant that as his personality, but more just right. uh, kind of the it's weird offseason. It's frustrating yeah, to watch yeah. what's happening with him. Yeah, he yeah. certainly didn't come into this season with a ton of goodwill just based on the fact of how, you know, Last, I don't think last season was as bad as we might make it out to be. It just right. wasn't what we wanted or expected based on how well he how how well he did in 2017. 
So you, you go into this year and you think, okay, he's in a contract year. Um, not that all of a sudden that helps you see sliders or, you know, <laughs> or, or stuff like that, but I don't know. You, you think like, you know, he certainly has something to play for, especially now when, you know, this could be really, this could break bad for him. If, you know, if he hits free agency and has kind of a down year, like he seems like the exact type of player that, you know, not many people are going to be shelling out money for in this new kind of environment. So I don't know what to say because, you know, we're kind of torn between making a lot of assumptions about five games, although I do think it's kind of built on the scaffolding of last season. But still, it is just five games. But also, you know, the win now mentality. Yeah. We have very good players on the bench, very good hitters on the bench. I really don't see the need for him in the lineup right now, or at least the need for him in the cleanup spot, uh, drop him down a little bit, put someone like Jose Martinez in there. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, or, or if you want to keep with the same outfield configuration, just, I don't know, figure something else out. But I, yeah, I really don't see the need for him in the cleanup spot. I had zero confidence. I hate saying this, but, and it's, it's not just relegated to him. It's relegated to a lot of the team, but I had zero confidence, uh, when he came up with the bases loaded, when we really squandered that opportunity, man, if we hadn't come back to win that game, that would have really felt like uh, an inning that got away from him. You know, that's the thing with this crazy strikeout rate environment is like, you can't count on bases loaded and no outs (laughs) meaning anything anymore. Yeah. I mean, Paul DeYoung had the best at bat of the three, four and five hitters. And he hit a fly ball that was too shallow for, anyone to have scored safely from third base and that was the best at bat of the three so it's not all on Ozuna but they just sort of put a magnifying glass on the fact that he's supposed to be the guy that comes through in those situations and you're right there's no confidence that he's going to be able to do that right now yeah and that's you know that that's an issue and and it was an issue last year I think if if you look at like fan graph stats and do splits for like uh, cleanup hitters I think I believe the Cardinals rank near the bottom um, in 2018 and you know you just don't want to have that come around and be the same problem again this year because that that leaves a lot of runs on the table that's a lot different from like you know having your seventh or eighth hitter being one right. of the worst in the league like you know that's you know you, you assume your cleanup hitter is going to have a lot more you know runners on base in front of them and yeah you, you really need someone who's at least making contact <laughs> Yes. And I think that that presents two questions for me. First of all, what does Ozuna do about it? Right? Because it's one thing to be struggling. It's another thing to to struggle and sort of shrug it off. And I'm not in a position to say that that's what he's doing. But at the same time, there's a, a bit of a perception that the effort maybe isn't matching the expectations. And the second part of that question is, This is sort of worst case scenario for Mike Schilt because now he's in a situation where he has to play that balancing act of letting a guy build his confidence, if you will, having faith in someone to be what they're capable of versus Jose Martinez and Tyler O'Neill sitting on the bench watching Marcelo Zuna drop fly balls and swing at pitches uh, above the numbers. I mean, at some point, Mike Schilt has to make a decision on that that is for the good of the team, whether it includes Marcelo Zuna in the lineup or not. Yeah, and I think 
the question is, what is he capable of? Because yeah. I think he's more like the player we saw last year. And if, and if that's the case, then he's still probably not our cleanup hitter, right? Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know what you do. I, I think you just had to kind of drop him in the lineup. Uh, you know, again, this all feels very silly after just five games, even, it does. even talking <laughs> like this. But, you, you know, I, I really do think that, that, you know, our eyes aren't deceiving us. That, you know, after what we saw last year and just the weird offseason uh, and, and now this, that we're not really speaking out of turn saying we might have a Marcelo Zuna problem. Uh, Look, it's... It's no secret that he came into spring training at less than what I think the team expected. When we heard during winter warm-up that maybe he wouldn't be ready for opening day, that seemed like a shock to everyone. And then all eyes were on Ozuna to see how he showed up to camp. And yes, he showed up early, but there was a, a Ben Fredrickson piece today that was all about Ozuna and the fact that he didn't show up ready. He said he would be ready. He said he would get ready and he isn't. So, you know, it's not just panic because he performed poorly in the first week of games. There's sort of data to match the perception, (laughs) if you will, that suggests he's not really living up to his end of the bargain right now. And that's why I think it gets complicated to figure out what you do with him because a lot of that I think depends on Marcelo Zuna right now. What is he going to do about it? Well, do we think it's more than just the shoulder? Like obviously the shoulder is not helping him throw the ball. Um, That is plain to everyone. That's clear to everyone. I should say, do we think, is this the type of injury that also affects his hitting or do we think there's a whole other thing going on there or you know obviously like you you can you can have a bum shoulder and still be in uh you know very good shape um i can't speak very well on how good of shape he's in or not in other than what i've read which is that he didn't come into camp in in great shape but if say like almost all of his problems stem from that shoulder then I don't know what we can expect him to even do about it. And then I think we have to put some of the blame on the front office for whether it was a lack of due diligence or, or what for, for, I don't know, not sniffing this out that, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't our cleanup hitter if he has this shoulder problem, because as it was reported, if I recall, they knew he had a shoulder injury, right? When they, when they made the trade, like that wasn't a secret. I think the indication is that they weren't aware how bad it was. How but bad it was. Okay. at the same time, you know, every one of those guys has to go through a physical before right. they sign yeah, anything. Yeah, so yeah. it's not like it should have been this giant mystery. No matter how much you want to play it off as we didn't know how bad it was, they still knew it was a thing. Yeah. So let's say Ozuna, like... If, say, he played 150 games this season, he's not going to be as bad as he's been through the first five. I think we can agree to that. But let's say he has a very like mediocre season and is just a, an average hitter. Then I think we just have to find a way to pivot from that, just like we did with Fowler last year. Um, we And they, the team just has to keep working with him, trying to find a spot for him in the lineup that, I don't know, better fits that production, and then see what you can do in terms of how to get a better one through four. Yeah, and I guess that's probably the first move other than, or or rather than overreacting and pulling him out of the lineup completely and moving on to another left fielder, giving Tyler, 
it's it's too early for that, certainly. But it is not too early to sort of contemplate a backup plan because all of this is sort of deja vu for what we saw last year that was blamed on the shoulder. So is it still the shoulder? Perhaps. But if that's the case, then he should not be on the active roster until the shoulder isn't a problem anymore. And if it isn't just the shoulder, then yes, you have to kind of commit to the fact that you committed to Ozuna and figure out how to use him most effectively. But the problem becomes when you build your lineup around Matt Carpenter as the leadoff guy and you commit to putting Paul Goldschmidt second, you leave a a pretty significant gap. I mean, as good as Colton Wong has performed this first week, maybe you move him up, but then you're vacating a spot in the bottom half of the lineup where you're not going to have much production. So it just takes so much depth away from what this team is capable of. I don't know. You can maybe shift Dexter Fowler, who's taking walks and and looking more like he's inching back towards the Dexter Fowler of the on-base percentage days. Maybe you put him closer to the top of the lineup, put him in that two spot like we've talked about before, and just kind of push everybody down a notch um, to stretch that that lineup out a little bit. I don't know, but it's it's strange to watch Ozuna at this point after all the talk, all that was said, all the emphasis around, we don't know if he's going to be ready. No, 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 no. He's fine. Everything's great. He says he's going to be ready. Don't worry about me to, well, this looks a lot like everything we were worried about with Marcelo Zuna in the first place. So it's just a strange dynamic right now with him and how Mike Schilt makes something different happen. (laughs) I think the thing, though, is if he's bad, there's no pressure to play him. This isn't like Fowler where right. we've committed years and uh, a lot of money to but him. It, but this is, 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 I mean, what is the expectation? Because he's he's not there to be a bench player. He's there to be the cleanup hitting left fielder. And no, I guess that's where... Certainly, but if he's dragging the team down, right. and this is, again, win now. Yeah. That, that's what it said yeah. on the, the front page of the, the post-dispatch. Win now. If he's dragging the team down, you don't have to have him as your cleanup hitter, even though that was the expectation when you traded for yeah. him. He's going to be gone after this year. He's you know he's being paid like, what, $12 million or something this year. It's not like, you know, it, it's not... There's just no... It's, to me, there's, there's no... Um, internal or external pressures to play a guy who's not producing like there might be with like a, a big free agent signing. And while I agree with you, my concern is, does Mike Schilt? Because he's oh, the guy that to has to yeah. write that lineup card out. And he's such a, a good communicator, as we've discussed. But is he going to make the tough call when it means this guy who's expecting to be in the starting lineup every day is going to be right in the bench? Well, let's talk about that, though, because how tough a call is it? Because he's, you know, someone asked a question of, you know, can you envision a scenario where Ozuna is back with the team next year? Someone asked us that, I think, in our mailbag Mm -hmm. episode. And I was like, zero percent, whether he has a great season or a poor season, zero percent. So I don't know how tough of a call it is. It's not like he's going to have a super long-standing relationship going forward with this guy yeah. you know this is his last season in st louis so i don't think it's that tough to bump him down in the lineup or 
or move them to the bench. And again, I want to be clear, like we're stipulating a lot here. We're stipulating that these five games matter and that, and that we're, our eyes are not deceiving us and, and that, the, that there is a problem here, which I, I think, I'm not saying we're 100% correct, but it's certainly fair to argue that there is a problem. Yeah, I think I think anyone who has watched the first five games would have no problem making that argument. And I agree with you. I think my concern, as far as Mike Schilt goes, is that he's new to this to a certain extent on this level, under this kind of microscope. And this team is better with a good Marcelo Zuna. So there's some... There's some impetus to kind of stand by your guy and and show your confidence in him and hope that that changes something. But I think the trick is knowing if he's the kind of guy who will be affected by the manager's confidence in him or not. If you know it, it's it's not showing in the work that he's doing at this point. I, I did think it was interesting in that uh, Ben Fredrickson piece. He noted that. Mike Schilt did, in fact, replace Marcelo Zuna in uh, that Monday <laughs> madness, whatever we want to call what happened on Monday. He did replace him, and he replaced him with Jairo Munoz in the outfield, which mm-hmm. doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in what they think that uh, Ozuna is capable of out there. But not only did that happen, but his presence in the lineup wasn't really missed in the next several innings as that game went into extras. So it it maybe is a sign that Mike Schilt is very much aware of the the problem of Marcelo Zuna at this point, and it's just going to be a process to figure out what to do about it and how to balance trying to get him in a position to be successful with not costing the team runs, either offensively yeah, or defensively. Well, we'll certainly get him out of there. At the very least, let's start getting him out of there late in yeah. games when we're trying to protect the lead. And then, um, you know, I, I think Derek Gould was always very good at sending out those tweets about when Matheny would do that with Matt Holiday. And yeah. be like, you know, <laughs> he just removed his number three hitter with, you know, in a one-run game and then, you know, go extra innings or something like that. Well, I don't think we we will be as bothered by those texts about uh, Ozuna as we right. are, right. as we were about, <laughs> about Holiday. Uh I think the important thing to remember is also that there are very good options. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we talked this offseason as if not as if, as if it was a problem, but more just like how are they going to make these pieces fit? And, you know, th- this is why it's a good problem to have because you have really good bats on the bench. I mean, you think about some of the benches we've had in the, in recent years. To have Tyler O'Neill and Jose Martinez and, and even Munoz sitting on the bench is – is is very good you know um so i i guess i'm not i'm not too worried yet i i do want to talk about fowler real quick because you mentioned the two spot i think i would rather if he's getting on base a lot and i I think he's walking like 23 like 24 percent of you know almost one in every four plate appearances this year he's he's getting a walk so that's probably probably won't say that high but let's say he keeps getting on base a lot I think I would almost rather see him lead off and then bat Goldschmidt and then Carpenter bat third. Just because I love the idea of Goldschmidt second um, and someone else brought this up because it's it's like when, you know, you're down one or two in a late game and you're like, okay, you know, we have the eighth batter coming up next inning. If, you know, or we have the seventh batter coming up next inning. If we just get these guys on and we get Goldschmidt up and we still have a chance. Kind of like how it used to feel with Pujols. Like, yeah. you know, 
even if we were down three, if you can just get a couple people on with Pujols in front of them, basically like the the Bradley scenario, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just get a few guys on and just get that Pujols guy up, and who knows what might happen, you know. That's kind of how I feel about Goldschmidt. So I like him in that two hole. I think, you know, I don't know how big of a deal it is, but people are, you know, seem to be concerned about the quote unquote protection that you know Paul DeYoung is giving him. You know, there's certainly been a lot of articles written that almost say protection that the whole idea is a myth. I don't know, but maybe it would be nice to have a, a hitter like Carpenter batting after Paul, after uh, Goldschmidt versus DeYoung. What do you think? Well, it's no secret that I have long said I would prefer Matt Carpenter not as the leadoff guy. So if Dexter Fowler can be that guy, that would be ideal. Uh, it just, it makes more sense to me that way. And I know that people are going to say, well, but Carpenter, it can't hit out of the leadoff spot. And I will go to my grave saying that that is false <laughs> um, under the right circumstances where he doesn't feel like he has to be the leadoff guy. I think he would be fine. So yes, in a perfect world, I would love to see Dexter Fowler batting in the one spot. And if it's Goldschmidt and then Carpenter, that's fine. Um, I think I'd be okay with it the other way around as well, but that's just being picky and it doesn't really matter at that point. I'm concerned a bit about Paul DeYoung. I always have been because of that strikeout rate. And I think you could say that about just about anyone in this lineup right now, but it would give that top four just a little more to work with as far as generating runs um whether it's right off the top or or even late in game so yeah i I would be fine with that i think at this point i I would even come out on wednesday with a new look to the lineup and maybe go carpenter wong goldschmidt or or some fashion there because that just gives you a little more of those guys who have been hitting well so far this season until and a lot of this depends on how Dexter's foot is after getting hit by a pitch um, on Monday. So all of that, all of that may be moot if he's going to be out for three or four games anyway. With, with regard to Wong, I'm going to be stupid and a little superstitious here and kind of take the, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Perfectly Uh, fine with that too. (laughs) And keep him exactly where he is. I feel like, one of his problems, or at least the the narrative around him was always that he got jerked around so much with Matheny, uh, the Ellis thing, and then just, you know, mm-hmm. kind of sent to Memphis, all that. Just keep him where, he, you know, and yeah. trying to find a spot for him in the lineup. Just keep him where he is. Uh, see how this plays out because, man, he looks good right now and it's fun to watch. And it's interesting because I've been very, very cautious and, and almost – opposed to the idea of putting him closer to the top because it it worries me a little bit that he will try to live up to some sort of expectation, which is what has gotten him in, in trouble in the past. I just feel like he's in such a different place right now that it maybe wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I, I completely agree when when Colton is playing well, you kind of just take your hands off the controls and, and let it happen. <laughs> so I'm perfectly well, fine with that. <laughs> It's kind of cool because, like, take away the home runs, uh, and, and that's been a, obviously a very nice, pleasant surprise. But he—it's—he's he, kind of always been so far this year. And it, you know, look, we're talking about five games, so this is just like a very tiny snapshot. You know, I'm not um, of of everything so far, but like, he's kind of been the person that we've always wanted him yeah. to be, which is like the stealing bases. You know just making things happen obviously the defense is is there so it's really exciting and like I, I don't know I would love nothing more than to see him blossom into an all-star just because 
I almost can't believe he's like 28. To me, he seems like one of those guys that's forever 23 yeah. in my head. I, I, I don't know why. Um, so when I heard like he's like knocking on the door of 30, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how did, how did that happen? But then you remember like, no, he, he came into the league in 2013 and that is now six years ago. So yeah. um, th- that's been really nice to see. And I hope obviously the power is not going to is not going to stay there. <laughs> He's not going to hit uh, 60 home runs this year. I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, if he could turn in what would be his, his best season, that would be really fun to watch. And I think, uh, quite honestly, I expect that of him this year based on the fact that so many of the hindrances have been taken out of the equation, as well as just the fact that he seemed like he kind of found himself last year and was starting to put all the pieces together that we're seeing as the result now. So this is the kind of Colton Wong that I've I've been kind of telling people all along exists. So it's exciting to see in five games, but it's going to be uh, even more exciting if he can keep it up. Uh, obviously, not expecting him to be the best hitter on the team all season, but um, like you said, take the home runs away, and he's still hitting doubles down the line. He's driving runs in. He's getting on base. He's taking his walks. He's trying to bunt, which is a thing that I wish he would stop doing. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, he's he's proving himself um, to be a, a really valuable piece in all of those aspects oh, of the game. Oh, was that the bunt that he popped up, but they missed? Uh, yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. In, in, foul ter- in foul territory. But so he still, so the, the at-bat right. stayed alive. Yes. But he ended up striking out. Yes. So he <laughs> tossed himself a strike exactly. there. So stop, yeah, stop that. Stop doing uh, that. <laughs> yeah, Swing the bat. Swing the bat. Let's not do that anymore. No, no. Uh, very much opposed to that continuing to happen. But anyway, the point is uh, Ozuna's a problem. And whether he continues to be a problem or not, you know, Mike Schultz going to have to find a way to to not lose quality at bats from that spot in the lineup, I think. And the defense is going to be a factor as well. And we all know that Tyler O'Neill is very capable defensively. So that's that's sort of waiting um, on the precipice if things continue this direction with Ozuna. I think that's all I have to say about Ozuna and the first week, unless you have anything else to add. All I'm going to add is, and I'll just lay this down, that if if this is still a problem a week from now, he won't last any longer at that cleanup spot. I really think Schilt will do something that quick. So, so we'll have to circle back and see if I'm correct, but I really do think that would be the case. Well, we'll see of what happens because I, I do think it's going to be important to see how quickly Mike Schilt will make a change if something continues to be a problem because that was part of the frustrating thing in the first half of last season is that things were problematic and they continued to be things um in in <laughs> pick anyone any, any number of things that were problematic at the beginning of last year um oh you know something I wanted to ask you real sure quick? and I was thinking about this since uh this is really the first year I've had MLB TV. I've always usually done like uh, uh, extra innings or whatever. Mm, um, yeah. I've, I've had MLB TV on like my computer one time before, but this first time I've really had it like on a Roku and stuff like that. And I was reading Eric Manning's piece because um, he lives in Iowa and he put a piece on Birds in the Black that just talks about, and a lot of people have heard of this before, but there are certain spots in Iowa or maybe all of Iowa, I'm not, I'm not quite positive, where you're blacked out from like 16. Yeah. Uh, and that's just absurd. Uh, both Chicago teams, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Minnesota, and Kansas City, I believe. And I know you live in Iowa. Is that your experience uh, with that? Like, And if so, how do you get around that? How annoying <laughs> is that? And it, it, can you actually see any sort of like actual like 
way that this matters, like, well, where people are like, well, I'd like to watch baseball. I'd like to be into baseball, but I can't because MLB won't let me watch the games. Well, first of all, just sort of as a blanket statement, I think that MLB is probably the worst league about preventing its own fans from seeing its content, whether we're talking about highlights on the internet or on your phone or on YouTube or the actual games from their actual product that's supposed to be selling you the coverage of them. I think, I don't know that there's a worse package than what MLB offers because of their blackout restrictions. And yes, that is very accurate from what what Eric has said. Um, I personally do not have MLB TV because there are so many games I would not be able to watch. And I know uh, a friend of mine who's a Yankees fan who clearly lives far enough from New York that he's not blacked out of Yankees games, but he can't watch any of those other teams that you just mentioned either. Um, so it's it's frustrating as a fan of the sport who would be interested in more content, more game coverage, more access to then be so restricted from it when you're so far away. I mean, I'm three and a half hours from St. Louis, but I'm five hours from Kansas City. Um, I'm probably further than that from getting to a Twins game. I'm three and a half hours from a Brewers game. So it's not like I'm close enough to just drive into town and go see a game. So the the restriction policies are, are problematic. And we've all heard that before, but it is really frustrating. And I think sort of just to wrap this up and answer your question, my family's always quite literally, because we're such baseball fans, chosen a television provider based on which package has Fox Sports Midwest so that we can watch games. So uh, whether that's okay. DirecTV or Dish, none of the cable uh, providers in the area um, offer Fox Sports Midwest. Um, and a lot of times, even those ESPN games, uh, we're blocked, we're blacked out from Chicago ESPN games here. So even when it's a national broadcast, we're blacked out from that as well. So it's not just MLB TV, but that's, uh, the bigger culprit in this case, because it's so many teams that are affected by it. Um, so we've gotten around it in that, in that regard, but you know, if I was wanting to watch all of the other teams that come with that package, it's certainly limiting. And the key I think is that Major League Baseball keeps telling us that baseball is is broken. <laughs> and I continue to reiterate that baseball is not broken. It's the way that we're presenting baseball. And I say we as a fan of the game, but it's really Major League Baseball and all of those, those pieces that go with it, how they're presenting the game to the current fan base and to a potential fan base. And this is just one more of those things that that limits how you can make your product available to people, which seems like a pretty logical bridge to cross. You know, if you want people to buy your product, you have to make it available to them. <laughs> Doesn't seem like rocket science. Yeah, to I guess to prepare for this tonight, I was hoping to like watch a bunch of Marcelo Zunas at bats. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I don't even know where I would look to find those. I yeah. want to just look at like, uh, you know, 10 or 12 of his at-bats so far this year. And wouldn't it be cool if there was a website that just said like, an MLB run website has just said here. 
look at look at all the and maybe Searched there is highlights. Maybe, yeah maybe there is yeah. an exist well i can't highlights <laughs> is, uh, in the spirit of this episode yeah we're not gonna well, find those with marcelo search Zuna. for like, search for content <laughs> yeah that's what i mean like it wouldn't it be nice if you could just yeah. type in a player's name and then just say what game do you want to go to what at bat do you want to see and then just go right to it and um, all of that is all of that is archived all of that is marked all of that is it's not like that process isn't possible <laughs> Maybe it does exist, and I don't, and I just don't know how to find it. So if it does, I feel silly. But, but I then, if they, they you don't know to how find. to find it, yeah, they make some it hard to casual find. fan who's just trying to figure out who a player was that he saw on TV the other night certainly yeah. isn't going to be able to find it. Exactly. So once yeah. again, we've run into the same issue that Major League Baseball has a presentation problem, not necessarily a, a product problem, and I, I oh. think they have to do something with that. Bryce Harper hit a home run. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 and he he pimped it pretty hard. So yeah, I mean, something. I have the game on mute, but uh, huh? There All you right. go. Never mind. Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> it, it's the uh, we're filming this during the uh, Phillies and uh, Nats game where Harper the Bryce returned. Harper return. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they booed him pretty well earlier. I was that's, what I, yeah, that's what I, I like heard. That's what I heard. Well, Good well done, them. Nationals fans. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did see a tweet that said there was a sign in the crowd that said, pardon Papelbon, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Nothing like a jilted fan base to spur yeah. some really solid creativity. <laughs> I've, I've been that fan plenty of times. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, to wrap this up, we are going to move on to the Chirp of the Week and Alex, you actually have an update for us on last week's Chirp of the Week. Yeah, I do. So last week's Chirp of the Week, I mentioned that uh, the Cardinals are attempting to finish ahead of the Pirates for the 20th straight season, um, something they've done every year starting in the year 2000. And I was curious about what the longest streak is. So I actually emailed the show Effectively Wild, uh, which is my favorite baseball podcast, and everyone should listen to it. And... uh, Ben Lindbergh got back to me very quickly and said, we will answer this. Uh, And sure enough, uh, a few episodes later, they did. And the record for the longest such streak is 34 years. And to the surprise of no one, it belongs to the New York Yankees. From 1932 to 1965, they finished ahead of the athletics every year. I believe that was both the Philadelphia Athletics and the Kansas City Athletics. So so there you go. that's just an update. That's not this week's trip. <laughs> That's of the just week. a bonus. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> just a bonus. Uh, this week's chirp of the week, I wrote about uh, Stan Musial's three home run game uh, in his age 41 season this past weekend, uh, the day after Paul Goldschmidt hit three home runs. So that's why I was kind of interested in the three home run game. And I noticed that Musial had a three home run game in 1954 and again in 1962. So eight years apart. And that's like, hey, that's kind of cool. That's kind of a long time to have between three home run games. Um, That's certainly the longest for any Cardinal, at least while they were in a Cardinal uniform for both of them. Um, So then I started looking at on uh, Baseball References Play Index, the three home run game and like the players who have done it. And Sammy Sosa is kind of like the master. Uh, He has the most with six. And Johnny Mize also has six, but so, but I always think of Sosa just because he did it all in like such a short span where he, he just kind of just exploded on the scene and within like a five year, you know, period hit basically almost 300 home runs. It was absolutely (laughs) incredible. But in light of the Stan Musial thing, I wanted to see who has the record 
for the longest gap between their first three home run game and their last. And I found, let's see, Joe DiMaggio, who went 13 years between two three home run games. Uh, 13 years and three months, in fact, from <laughs> June 13th, 1937 to September 10th, 1950. But that's not the record, Tara. Okay. There's also A-Rod, who went 15 years and four months wow. between three home run games, or at least his first and last, uh, from April 16th, 2000 to July 25th, 2015. Wow. But that's not the record either. Oh, gosh. This, in fact, is the record. Reggie Jackson went 17 years and two months between two three home run games, and they were the only two of his career. He did it the first time on July 2nd, 1969, and then the second on September 18th, 1986. Like, that's a crazy long time to elapse between uh, games in which you hit three home runs in both of them. That's... yeah, it's nuts, right? That's almost as many years as the Cardinals have finished ahead of the Pirates in the NFL. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very long That's time. That's insane. <laughs> I just love the three home run game. I was kind of looking at like the leaderboard. Uh, I believe 17 players have done it at least four times. Um, and that includes Mookie Betts, by the way, hmm. which is crazy because he's yeah. still so young. Um, the rest of the list is just a who's who of Hall of Famers. Um, and soon will be Hall of Famers like Albert Pujols and probably should be Hall of Famers like Barry Bonds, um, but then also Steve Finley. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's fun. He snuck um, onto that list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's your trip of the week. It wasn't as Cardinal-centric as it usually is, but Reggie Jackson, who basically spanned three decades between mm. his uh, three home run games. That is pretty incredible. And that's one yeah. of the things that I love so much about baseball is the – length of careers in some cases obviously those are the the rarities it's not everybody that has a 20-year career but man the stories you create for yourself over the course of 20 years in this game it's it's pretty remarkable to go back and look at that he did it the first time during nixon's first term and the last time during reagan's second term if that gives (laughs) you any idea of oh man we're talking here that's incredible that's that's really incredible um that might be my favorite chirp of the week so far, and uh, it has nothing really to do with the Cardinals, except that Paul Goldschmidt um, hit three home runs in one game. So, Alex, thank you for that. Um, thank you to all of you for tuning in this week. We've gone a little bit longer than normal, but I feel like there's so much that we want to say after a week of actual baseball. So hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did, and we will be back with you next week to talk about hopefully uh, a less a less problematic week for Marcelo Zuna. Make sure you're following Birds on the Black on Twitter and make sure you're subscribed to the Birds on the Black podcast. Of course, I'm on Twitter at Tara Wellman. Alex is AlexCard79. And we're just, you know, tweeting up a storm during baseball games these days. So make sure you're checking it out. We'll be back next time. Until then, have a great night, everybody. Bye.